And if you're cut out of that conversation and can't get into it, um, it, it can be tough. And you don't have to know a lot about football. You just have to know how to ask a question. So you say, I watched the game last night. What happened at the end there? That was weird. <laughs> and what you do then is you make somebody else feel like an expert because they know and they tell you. Everyone feels good about themselves. You're listening to Stand Out, Get Noticed, the show that helps you communicate with confidence so you can stand out from the crowd and get noticed by all the right people. To subscribe to the show, go to thecmethod.com. Hello and welcome to Episode 75 of the Stand Out, Get Noticed podcast. My name is Christina Cantors and I am your host. I'm recording this from one of the meeting rooms at my co-working space, Hub Melbourne, so if you do hear a little bit of background noise, that's people walking around. (laughs) Now, this episode's a little late than normal. I usually release episodes every Wednesday morning. That's Australian Eastern Standard Time, Wednesday morning. Today, it's now Thursday afternoon. Now, I had a little life lesson. I was planning to get up yesterday morning, bright and early, get it released. And I had a horrible night's sleep. And for some reason, my brain decided to migraine on me. So I had to spend most of the day in bed, which totally sucked. But I'm, I'm okay now, if you were wondering. And I learned two lessons from this. Firstly, always be prepared in case life gets in the way. And secondly, don't be so hard on yourself. I had to try really hard to not beat myself up. And I thought, you know what? If I get the podcast out by Thursday, that's okay too. Alrighty, this episode is all about culture, communication differences, and how to be a confident speaker when English is not your native language. And I'm very excited to introduce Terry O'Reilly from OBP Australia as my very special guest. But firstly, I just want to give a big shout out to the League of Extraordinary Women. I was the MC for their conference on Saturday. It was a day-long conference called Run the World, and we had 400 female entrepreneurs all under one roof listening to amazing speakers and connecting with each other. And I just want to say thank you for having me along. That was It was an amazing day. Really, really fun. And in fact, I'm going to do a podcast episode most likely next week about the lessons I learned from being MC. So to help you, if you need to facilitate or moderate as well, there are some special skills required there. So that will be next week's episode. Also, I want to say hi to podcast listener Laurie, who I met at the conference. It was so, I always love meeting podcast listeners. So, uh, Laurie, thank you so much for listening and I hope you continue to enjoy the show. Alrighty, let's get to it. I have a very special guest for you this week. His name is Terry O'Reilly and he's the founder of OBP Australia, which stands for Overseas Born Professionals. Terry helps skilled people who, as the name suggests, are born overseas and have come to Australia to find work. He helps them not only with resumes and job hunting, but he also helps them to understand Australian workplace and culture. He helps them to improve their communication skills and grow their professional networks as well. Now, I was keen to get him on the show because I meet a lot of people who are born overseas, now living in Australia, and they often tell me that they lack confidence when speaking English because of their accent, or they're worried that they won't be understood, or they're they're told that they can't be understood. So listen in to find out what you can do if you feel like your accent or your level of English is holding you back from achieving the level of success that you want. 
And even if you are a native English speaker, Terry and I also talk about what we need to be aware of in our own communication so that we can better engage with people who may not understand our cultural references and, and the little quirks that we, that we have as Australians. Show notes for this episode are at thecmethod.com slash Terry. That's T-E-R-R-Y. Now, as we were chatting, I found out that Terry has a lot of experience with teaching English, and that's how we got started in education. I asked him why he was drawn to it. I'm interested in languages. I'm interested in cultural difference. I think language is far more than just um, the words we use. It's uh, the way people communicate is, is broader than just the language, and I find that interesting. I've travelled a lot. Um, spent a lot of time overseas, um, exposed to many different cultures. I love meeting somebody who has a different cultural reference <laughs> and just the sometimes jarring things that occur, I find really interesting. And I can, having done it for a long time, I can pick up on what maybe an Australian employer, an Anglo-Australian employer might find a little bit odd. And uh, we can talk about those sorts of things with with. You know, mm. the overseas-born professionals. What was your first overseas trip that really wowed you? I suppose the biggest eye-opener for me was Africa, mm. uh, contrasting Africa and, and England. So, so my roots are English-Irish. Um, and when I went back to England, it felt like home. <laughs> and this was really scary because there are a whole lot of people who look like me for a start. <laughs> um, and... and uh, Similar names, all that sort of thing, and the cultural, the rituals, you know, everything the, from the language, the the music, the food. I could see that that was part of my upbringing, even though I was born here in Australia. And to compare that going to Africa and realizing that Africa, in many ways, is very similar to Australia uh, from a landscape perspective. Um, it's very open. It's hot. It's dry. And for once, I sort of felt like maybe Australia is not really my home deep down. <laughs> so this sort of uh, it gave rise to lots of feelings of identity and, and where you really fit in the big picture and realising that, you know, Australian culture can be quite superficial when you, you dig down. I mean, you're looking at language and rituals. You're talking about, for Anglos, you're talking about, you know, England and, and Europe as having a stronger connection. But the land, I think, here does change you as well. So that sort of thing interests mm. me, yeah. Do you remember your very the very first time you experienced culture shock when it came came to language and, and rituals when you went overseas? Uh, in Zimbabwe, I spent some time with uh, some friends in rural areas, so living with uh, a friend's family, so Shona people, and um, so we're talking mud huts, no electricity. Um, uh, I think that was quite different. Um, the direct line but in, in, in their, their food supply, you know, no supermarkets. They would kill a beast and eat it and they would grow mm. vegetables. <laughs> and, I mean, kill a beast in, in the... <laughs> like we should be doing, like we were designed to do. <laughs> yeah, and it's quite confronting as well because, I mean, the way they kill an animal over there is, is you know, you, you can't get away from the fact that it was a live animal and, you know, six hours later you're eating it sort of mm. thing. Um, and just the, the whole difference in the way they live, um, you know, protecting their grain from baboons and cats, um, it's really wild. 
So that was a huge culture shock. Yeah. I'm also fascinated with the, the cultural differences and the language that we use, and we often don't even realise that we're doing it because it's so ingrained in us. Can you share a few examples of some cultural quirks that we have as Australians that really affect or confuse people who come over that we're not even aware of that we're doing? Yeah, I suppose that the, the biggest one is the humour. Okay. So irony and sarcasm doesn't translate well often doesn't translate well. Mm. And sometimes this can be misinterpreted as racism. Uh, sometimes it can be racism. I'm not denying that exists. But um, if you're not really familiar with the, the culture of people, you know, ribbing somebody or uh, um, joking about something, sometimes it's a, it's a way of, you know, showing endearment to somebody as well. You know, the closer you are with somebody, the more critical you can be of oh, them. Yeah. We make fun of all our friends. Exactly. So making <laughs> fun nice of people. We talk about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we encourage people. But you can imagine how this is to somebody who doesn't understand the cultural nuance mm. and, and language within that. You know, slang or idioms that are used that that don't quite catch on. I, I remember an example once where we had um, we organise uh, work placements for people to get some local experience. Um, one one example we had was a person went out on a workplace. Um, there was a bit of banter going around in the office and um, the, the boss came in and suggested, um, why don't we move your desk over here? There's more space and you get to use your own computer. Fine. Somebody else in the team commented and said, about time you moved and laughed. So this is an example of not being there so you don't really know what that comment meant. It could be very nasty. Because it's all in the tone, isn't it? It's all in the tone and it's all in what's preceded that as well. Mm. So from the outside, I have no idea what that person meant, okay? And everybody laughed. And the boss said, the manager said, don't worry about them. Next place I move you will be out the window. And oh laughed. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And this person was shattered, you know, and it was devastating for them. But... I think it's probably immaturity. There's a, a very immature level of humour that goes on in many Australian workplaces. It's like something you might experience in the playground sometimes. So they weren't aware of this impact on the person. And it came to the end day of the placement and it seemed as if there were no hard feelings and they'd organised a, a luncheon for this person to celebrate their last day. Well, this person didn't go because they thought they weren't wanted. So they were shattered that the people in the team, they'd realised you know, the impact of their, their actions. So that, that's an example of um, a real misunderstanding. So what do you encourage your clients to do when they experience a situation like that and they're not sure what to make of it? Well, the first thing is that I have an ongoing dialogue with them. So, so one thing with my service is it's a 12-month subscription. So if something happens, we can discuss it. Mm. Little things like... Um, Somebody uh, took some lunch into work, uh, an accountant in the lunchroom, and the manager left, and as they were going, um, they said, oh, having leftovers today, are we? And just walked. So that person rang me and said, look, I think I've made a mistake with some something in the books. 
he thought leftovers was some sort of accounting transaction he wasn't aware of. Wasn't aware it was last night's dinner. <laughs> okay. So okay. those little things, people can ring or text and say, what's leftovers? <laughs> okay. And if I get a text saying, what's leftovers, I'll say, I need more information, please. Because <laughs> I'll need, you know, a scenario or tell me where it happened, some context. So mm. I can't really say what what's leftovers. It could be anything. So, mm. so that sort of yeah. feedback is, is useful. <laughs> A lot of people who I speak to, they tell me that they lack this confidence with their English abilities. And to me, they speak fine English. Like to me, there's, I can understand them. There's nothing wrong with their, with their English. Yet they say, I feel like it's not good enough and that people are going to pick, pick on me for, for getting words wrong or for having incorrect grammar you know, saying, saying things wrong. They're very conscious of that. And as a result, it holds them back from going for opportunities or getting up and speaking or doing the things that they really want to do. What advice do you have for someone who's going through that sort of anxiety? So there's a few things. Um, speak, speak, speak as much as you can. Get out, talk in as many different environments as possible. Um, be with as many different types of people so you're exposed to different language, usage. Any development in your second or third or fourth language or whatever it is is going to be slow. So, I mean, I run communication skills workshops for professionals working in Australia. Um, I make sure that they realise that at the end of the five weeks, some of their improvement may not be visible. We're talking years. Mm. Um, some people are a little bit um, concerned about their accent, a bit self-conscious. The first thing I say is you'll have your accent for your entire life. It'll change, but it's not going to go away. I speak this way, you speak the way you do. Things will change over time, but it's not going to be an overnight thing. Okay, So be yourself. Um, it depends on the person, the environment they're working in. If it's a client-facing role, the, the pressure's on. Mm. This is the toughest thing. Account managers, public accountants, sales and marketing, these sorts of roles are the hardest for overseas-born professionals, and they do need to have excellent communication skills. So work on it, you know, and you have to be rigorous and study. I mean study as in getting out and talking to people and then reflecting on what happened, getting some advice, uh, recording your voice is critical at the start. If you can't hear how you sound, then you can't make changes. So we do a lot of video recording, audio recording, um, practicing things that are what we call first language interference. So all Persian speakers will have similar problems, or Arabic speakers will have sim similar problems, or Korean speakers will have similar problems, and so on. So identifying the the components of English that you're having trouble with because of your first language is critical. So whether it's short vowel sounds, consonant clusters, uh, uh, rhythm, stress, intonation, um, it, it could be any of those things or more, but we can pick it pretty quickly. And identifying what those things are is really helpful to the learner. And if you've identified something within their accent. So I know a lot of other cultures, they pronounce certain letters completely differently to the way that 
we pronounce them in English. Or they might not do, have that sound in them. Yeah, language, they might not so. have that sound. So you say that, okay, their accent will change, but it's not going to go away. With those particular sounds, do you help them to pronounce them in the English way? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, particularly for the ones that interfere with um, understanding. So, uh, for example, a, a, the sound, the TH, if you get it wrong, people still understand you. Okay, it's not a critical uh, sound. When it's in context and you're speaking, it's not a problem. So it's more important to concentrate on the other things that are really mm. <laughs> killing your, your communication, like the stress, where the stress falls in a word or a sentence. That's the main reason people can't understand. Okay. Right, okay. So, so, and they can pick up, you know, consonants you're not quite getting right, people will, will live with. It's the but emphasis. Want, it's, it's, yeah, that's right. The <laughs> emphasis, emphasis on the, the wrong, wrong syllable. On the wrong syllable, yeah. <laughs> that's right. So, um, like, do you have some, do you have examples of common words that, where the emphasis is often placed in the wrong spot? I'll give you one example. My, yeah. my mum was born in Malaysia. She's been in Australia for, over 30 years, and she still says Aboriginal instead of Aboriginal, which we all, I mean, we always poke fun at her being Australian. Um, it's very endearing. We obviously understand what she means, but I find it funny. I find it interesting that she's been here for so long and she's heard that word so many times, yet it's still pronounced differently. Yeah, um, and, and that can be critical. Sometimes, uh, for example, uh, uh a word with two syllables, let's say concise. If you say concise, mm. people haven't got a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> All right? Yeah. It's not a word. Okay. And um, people don't understand what you're talking about. So, so there's that example. The other thing we do is we work on words that are going to be used frequently for their job. Okay. So it's not just uh, phonemes or um, stress or intonation in general language, let's pick the words they're going to be using 20 or 30 times a day. So, for example, I have a logistics expert who couldn't say distribution centre. That's a tough one mm. for a Korean speaker, okay? So you've got to get that right. If you're talking in an interview and you're trying to explain to somebody that you've worked in a distribution centre and they don't know what you're saying, the whole interview is a waste, so it's identifying what you need to be talking about, uh, the audience, and what are the pronunciation problems you're facing that are interfering with being understood. That's so interesting. I'd never heard of that before. And it's not often a, a challenge that people recognize in, themsel in themselves. Like you said earlier, they think, oh, it's the, ac it's the accent. They blame it all on the accent without thinking about, well, maybe it's just the wrong emphasis on certain parts rather than the accent itself. Yeah, and there's also confidence that comes into it. Um, one, one of the things I'm always amazed with is when I first meet clients, I make an assessment of their language level. Mm. And quite often I'm wrong about their ability to get work. I mean, I've had people whose uh, uh, English is quite low for a professional, and yet they have no trouble getting jobs. They have front, they have confidence, they communicate a lot better than their language would suggest. So there's no trouble with, you know, understanding them because they check, they make a lot of mistakes, but they don't care, you know. And these are, you know, accountants, fairly senior level roles. 
Um, and there are other people who will speak quite well who don't have that confidence. They don't have their pitch down, you know, they, 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 they don't really explain themselves very well. When somebody says, what do you do? I mean, you've got to be able to say what you do mm. fairly quickly yeah, and concisely. So if you haven't got that down and if you're not good at your job, it will come through. You just have to talk to another person from your profession. Mm. They can tell within 30 seconds your you know, depth, depth of knowledge on the subject matter. If you're talking to HR or a recruiter, maybe not a generalist, but you know what it's like if you're talking to another person from your field. It doesn't take very long. So it's not always language. So I try to pull people away from thinking that this is all about my accent, this is all about my language. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. I love that you mentioned how someone who is less technically skilled at the language can do better because of their confidence and they don't care and they put themselves out there without worrying so much about the result or if they're going to be um, judged whatever for that. And maybe it's a case of the people who are at that high level, they're, they're actually aware of how much is involved in the English language. And it's sort of like that whole, um, like the more you know, the more you know you don't know. I see a parallel with, you know, starting your own business. Like at the start, when I started my own business, I didn't know anything about business. So I was like, yes, let's go start my own business. I just launched straight into it. Whatever, I don't care, let's give this the best shot. And then as time goes by, you learn how much is involved in it and you think, oh, my God, if I had if I'd known this when I'd started, I probably wouldn't have even started. And I can see someone who is, you know, maybe not as skilled with English but they're like, Whatever, I'm, I'm, look at me, I'm learning English. I've got that first step. I'm going to get out there and, and go for it. And the other thing is, is that if deep down they know they're good at their job, mm. so if they can code well, you know, if they can uh, draft in AutoCAD well, Revit, whatever, they know it will come to a point where they'll actually be good at what they do. People who are not or who don't feel confident in their skills it's hard for them to speak confidently because they know deep down perhaps they're not as good as what they would like to be. Do you know what I mean? So that, that sort of comes through in the communication as well. So for people, for people who are overseas born and they are skilled and they're going for jobs and competing against local people who might be of the same skill level but the main difference is that they're native English speakers, they were born here, what can people do to give themselves that competitive edge? Uh, there's quite a few things, but one of the things is to start talking to people from your profession. So first of all, networking, meetups, getting out there and getting that language of your profession so you understand maybe some differences in Australia compared to your first country. Um, the second thing is making contact directly with employers and technical hiring managers, not HR. Right. Don't talk to HR. <laughs> uh, they can talk to HR, but if they want to try to convince somebody or put their case, they need to be doing it to somebody who understands their CV. Mm. HR is still very important um, that they have to be involved in the recruitment process, but um, those initial conversations are really useful, and lots of people don't think that that's possible. You know, you have a job application system. We have recruiters out there. There's a system for all this you've got to follow. If you do that, you'll be waiting a long time to get a job. 
So it's a bit old school in, in the fact that you've just got to go out and talk to people, you know, whether it's on the phone or face-to-face. It is important that you put your best foot forward. So if communication is not your strong point, don't do it. It's better to send an email first. Right. <laughs> um, with solid attachments, good quality documentation. Uh, at least then a person can read through that and get some idea. But if, if you've had trouble communicating on the phone, it doesn't shouldn't be your first impression that you make is you have communication problems. Yeah, play your mm. strengths. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. No worries. If people want to, if people listen to this and want to get in touch with you, what's the, what's the first step for them? Uh, is to just go to the website, obpaustralia.com.au and submit an inquiry form. So on the front page, there's a link to that. Um, I'll respond to that. So all of my services start with an individual consultation. So it's important that I understand what that person wants and I tell them at that stage whether I can or can't help them. So, uh, and then from that, I develop a needs analysis, give that to them. Uh, that's a free consultation and they go away and have a think about it. And if they want to engage my services, they follow up with me. Sure. There's lots of people who you say, oh, I can't help you. What, what sorts of people are they? Uh, people who, who are not qualified to do what they want. So basically right. people have to be job ready. So for example, an overseas student who doesn't have full work rights can only work 20 hours a week mm. and wants a job as an architect. I can't help you. Sorry. Mm. Okay. So what I can do is advise on what that person needs to do in order to access my services or get a job, but it's too early. So I, I need 100% happy customers. All yeah. right? I can't take somebody who's going to be disgruntled in six months' time. That's not good for my business. So what I need to do is to make sure that when they come on board, they're clear about what I can and can't do for them. And um, then, you know, you're guaranteed people are satisfied with the service. And are your webinars available just for clients or are they publicly broadcast? Public. Oh, great. Yeah. So, uh, well, there there is a mixture. Okay. Um, the ones that are available for my clients are password accessed, but the webinars that I, I run on Thursday evenings, they're called Meet Success. So I in, interview ex-clients mm-hmm. who are now established in their profession in Australia and uh, people ask questions and we have a chat about how they got a job, how's it going, how you're fitting in, all that sort of stuff. They're all open, free access, and they can be accessed via the website and uh, they're all uploaded there for Great. For that as well. And there's other things like um, there are webinars on the footy, uh, introductions to the football. So a lot of clients Very have... Very important cultural Well, reference. it can be in the workplace. <laughs> well, that's what <laughs> everyone talks about on a Monday morning, isn't it? Well, in some places, yeah. <laughs> and if you're cut out of that conversation and can't get into it, um, it it's, can be tough. And you don't have to know a lot about football. You just have to know how to ask a question. Oh, I don't even know anything about football. Yeah. So you say, <laughs> I watched the game last night. What happened at the end there? That was weird. <laughs> And what you do then is you make somebody else feel like an expert because they know and they tell you everyone feels good about themselves, you know. So um, it's not about gaining knowledge. It's about being inquisitive, getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. Definitely keeps things interesting for people at work. Anyway, thanks so much, Terry, for, for joining us again. Thanks, I really Christina. appreciate it. No problem. <laughs> Thanks to Terry O'Reilly from OBP Australia for being my very special guest this week and for sharing all his wonderful expertise and stories with us. 
I'll put links to how you can get in touch with Terry at thecmethod.com slash Terry. That's T-E-R-R-Y. Don't forget to check out his weekly webinars at obpaustralia.com.au. Alrighty, and that's all from me this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate if you could share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it and find value in it. Okay, I'll see you next week for another episode. But in the meantime, keep on being awesome. My name's Christina Cantors, and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. <laughs>